Life is filled with blessings, but life is also filled with many struggles, is it not? In our lives, we know that we will come in contact with suffering because we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world. As happy as you are in any given moment, and as sure as you are of God's blessings, we know that life can be difficult. Sickness and disease could be around the corner. An accident could happen, and, and tragedy could bring us feelings of loss and pain that we would find difficult to bear. There are ways in which to respond to these things. I'm guessing that we all know people who have come into hardship. You may be you yourself. And we've seen people who encounter these kinds of hardships and it has caused them to turn their back on God. They don't understand how God could allow such a thing to happen. And in looking for someone to blame, God is an easy target. Others find that instead of running away from God, they, they run towards Him in the midst of their trials and find in Him the comfort that they truly need. Now in pastoral ministry and in chaplaincy work, you often have the opportunity to come into contact with people who are experiencing some of the most difficult times of their lives. And there is an unbelievable blessing that comes from those who are able to look you in the eyes. And in spite of the difficulties they are facing, they tell you that they've been blessed. And whatever comes their way, they trust in God and in the salvation that has been given to them in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing to see. Now as we wrap up our current stretch in Genesis with Jacob, we, we find ourselves at a place where we see Jacob receiving a blessing and a reminder of God's promises to him. We see that Almighty God is going to be following him. In fact, we see it on display in this passage. But we also found ourselves at a place where this one who has the blessing of God upon him, he loses his beloved wife and he loses his father. How can this be? Shouldn't the blessed one, who is the one through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed, shouldn't he be immune from the bad stuff? Jacob's gotten his life figured out. Look how far he's come. Shouldn't he only have blessings? Shouldn't his new address be the corner of Prosperity Avenue and Easy Street? Isn't that where Jacob should be living? But what we see displayed here instead in chapter 35 of Genesis is the truth that ultimately this world is not our home. And our hope is not in the things or people of this life, but in the God who holds us and cares for us. And as we come into this chapter, we're going to once again break down into three points to help us see this theme moving through the text. So the first point that I want us to see is that we're going to notice that Jacob removes the idols from his household. Now, you were, were likely knocked back a little bit when we read this and found that there were still idols among Jacob's household. Shouldn't they have gotten rid of these things? Well, as you know, old habits die hard and sin prevails. But what we see is that the covenant is confirmed with Jacob 
And he is removing these things from his household that he might move forward in faithfulness. Jacob is continuing to move towards God in a deeper understanding of who he is. Secondly, we see that God is faithful to Jacob. Now, we've had nothing but evidence that God is caring for Jacob. But as the story continues, we're going to see the protection that God gives to Jacob and his people. We know that God's hands have been upon him, but we're going to see it on display here in the passage today. And finally, we're going to see the loss of two very important people in Jacob's life. Rachel and Isaac die. Now we've just seen the protection that God gives Jacob, but then two significant people in Jacob's life die? And one of these is unexpected. As, as blessed as Jacob is, we find that the blessings are not about this life. They're not about Jacob's personal happiness and his prosperity. The blessings that Jacob has are about God and how he keeps his covenant with his people. And so we drop into our first point. We find that, well, there's still some idols sitting around the house there in Jacob's family. Now, as we approach this story, it's important that we remember what happened in the previous chapter. Remember, Shechem violated Dinah, and then using the ritual of circumcision, the sons of Israel deceived the people of Shechem, and then they killed all the men in the city as vengeance for what had happened to their sister. Now, if you remember back to the chapter, as it concluded, Jacob was concerned with, with how the people in the area were now going to view him, right? His sons went in and slaughtered all the people in the city. You know the word's going to get around in the community, and it, it ain't going to be popular. This is not going to be viewed well by the people in this area. Now, I had commented last week that Jacob wasn't concerned that his sons had used the covenant sign of God's covenant people of circumcision as a way to get vengeance on other people, he was concerned with his own safety. And you can honestly understand his concern. Like I said, I'm guessing the people who heard about this and what happened to Shechem probably didn't think too highly of it and were probably concerned that they might try to kill them also. Well, but Jacob has this deep concern, and so God speaks to him to give him confidence and while it's truly a significant concern that Jacob has, so is the truth that God protects his covenant people. And we see that here. But with all this background, we find that God speaks to Jacob. And we know that this isn't the first time that God has spoken to him, but we're now seeing God speak to Jacob in the land. And he is giving out very specific instructions Jacob is told to arise and go to Bethel and there to dwell there. They're going to establish themselves at the place where God has revealed himself to Jacob. Now remember, Bethel means house of God. In Hebrew, Beth is house, El is God. And so Jacob is to return to where the presence of God was made known to him, where it was manifested to him. And God is calling him to where God wants him to be. And what else is Jacob instructed to do? He's to build an altar. He's going to make a sacrifice in this place where they are called to dwell, and they will live there, and they will worship God there. 
Now, God has appeared to Jacob there before, right? This is where God came down the ladder to Jacob. So this is an important place. And so Jacob hears the word of the Lord, and so he is going to obey. But we see Jacob knows there's an issue, right? It's like when somebody tells you to do something, but you know you got to do something first. Like, I don't want to be caught this way, right? I better take care of this. That's what happens here. Jacob knows there's an issue, that there are still household gods, these foreign gods amongst his people. Now, if you remember back to the story where Jacob was fleeing from Laban, Rachel had stolen the household gods. They were idols, and what they believed about them, we talked about this several weeks back, what they believed about them is they brought the house, that they brought the household's good luck. Well, why are these still around? Well, it's a reminder to us. Paganism runs deep, doesn't it? Even though they were in the covenant family, God had called Jacob and been faithful to him, but these people just couldn't let go of their, their ritual, rituals. After all that God has been faithful to do for Jacob, you would think this would have been remedied a long time ago. But just as you and I have sins that beset us and we struggle to fully put aside, the idolatry in the household of Jacob remained. As they are faced with this command from God, Jacob tells them to finally throw those idols to the curb. We don't know why he hasn't done this before, but now he's telling them to do so. But he also has another interesting command for them. They're to change their garments. Now what's the deal here? Did Judah and Levi come to the car and they didn't have matching socks on and mom said, back into the house, we're going to church. But dad, I know someone who else, who else who went to Bethel and their mom let them wear nothing but a brown robe and sandals. That's not what's going on here. This isn't about style. It isn't about putting on clothes. It is about putting on clothes that are clean. The idea here is that they're going to go into the presence of God as those who are clean. Now, some believe that this was not just a, a matter of running back to the closet and, and getting better clothes on. Likely, this is all a part of, of this idea of them purifying themselves. Notice what it said, that they are to purify themselves. And so this would have included bathing. It would have included sexual abstinence. It would have included putting on new clothes. They are preparing to follow the commands of God. And so this is a time of purification. And that involves getting the idols out of their lives and becoming clean and becoming the set-apart people of God that they are. And the idea here is that they are a repentant people because they're going into the presence of God. They're going to repent of their sins. They're going to become pure, and they are going to move towards the presence of God. And notice what Jacob says here. This is an important testimony of faith that he has. They're going to make an altar to God who answers him in the day of his distress. And he says that he has been with him wherever he's gone. Remember Jacob. Throughout our time with him, he has not been a picture of faith this whole time. He's been a deceiver. He's been a scoundrel. He's had issue upon issue that show a lack of faith and, and they display his unbelief. 
But still, in the midst of the failures that that we have seen, he has seen the faithfulness of God. The promise that is upon him isn't about the faithfulness of Jacob, because if it was, if this was about the faithfulness of Jacob, that would have been over many, 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 many years ago. This whole relationship would have been done. This is about the faithfulness of God. And we see here that Jacob gets that. He has learned that. That this isn't about him. It's about God and his faithfulness to him. God has been faithful to him. And he understands that. And so we see that that Jacob's family hears what he is saying and they listen, they obey, they do what has been commanded. They bring the idols and the rings in their ears. Now, the reason they give Jacob the rings in his ears, even though he didn't ask for them, is because these items were associated with pagan worship. And so they're not only giving up the idols themselves, but the other little things that connect them to worship of something other than Almighty God. And you get the idea. This is a complete repentance. But then you read the final line of the verses here from our first point. And you might think Jacob isn't all that serious because he takes all this stuff and hides it under a tree. Now, that's a good translation of what it says here, but this isn't that he's just tucking it on the other side of a tree or he found a knot hole and he shoved all the idols into him. No, this is a burial. They're burying them under the ground so that they won't come back to them, so that other people won't find them. He wants his family to have nothing to do with these false idols, so they are dead and buried in the ground right where they deserve to be. So the family of Jacob is now prepared. The idols have been buried. They have purified themselves. They are in a state of repentance, and so they're prepared to go to Bethel. And so we move on to our second point where we see that God confirms his faithfulness to Jacob. And we see that faithfulness displayed immediately in the story. As they travel, what happens? The cities fall into terror of Jacob. He had been worried that the people would come after them, but as they traveled, God caused fear to be upon them regarding Jacob. They didn't pursue him. And what Jacob feared did not come to pass because the Lord, his God, had his hand of blessing upon him once again. Now they arrive, and they build an altar, but then something happens. This is kind of an off story here. It says that the nurse of Rebekah dies. And we don't, we don't know why this is brought up. Why was the nurse of Rebekah with Jacob and his family? Now perhaps Rebekah had sent her to help serve him. We don't know. But in this passage, it seems to serve as a way to orient the readers to what the names of the various areas around Bethel are. The people who are reading this would have known the names of these places, and so this is why this spot is called this, this is why this spot is called this, and so we give, get ourselves this story about the nurse of Rebekah. But the important part of the text has, has God appearing once again to Jacob. And what does he do? He reminds us and Jacob of his name change. Now, we initially saw this name change in the morning after Jacob had wrestled with God, but here we're reminded of that name that he has been given. And then we have a very interesting statement. It's a familiar statement. We know it. We've heard it many times. He says, I am God Almighty. 
be fruitful and multiply. Now, the reason I say that's an odd statement, Jacob's an old man at this point. He has been fruitful. He has multiplied. What do you call 12 kids? I call that being fruitful and multiplying. But notice the switch that has happened in this declaration of the name, the way that God is speaking. You are Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So Jacob's name is Israel, but the nation that comes out of him is now known as Israel. That's the switch. You are Jacob, the person, but now you are Israel, the nation. They are to be faithful to this command from God. We've heard this command over and over in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. And now it's commanded once again to Jacob and his offspring. And that's who it applies to. They are to be fruitful and multiply. And then we see more familiar language. It's a confirmation of the land promise. Not only are you to be fruitful and multiply, but I'm going to give you this land, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac. And all of this is once again confirmed to Jacob. It is the continuing promise. And it will continue beyond him and to his offspring. And so Jacob once again makes a landmark. Notice how important these have been throughout the story of Jacob. He makes a landmark, something that his children and his children's children and his children's children's children can look at and see, this is where God confirmed the covenant with our father Jacob. Israel heard the word of the Lord here and believed by faith. That is what's happening here. These are a part of helping the people to remember, to see these landmarks and be reminded of the faithfulness of Almighty God. And God tells him about how a company of nations will come from his family and kings will be from his offspring. All of this is important. It's all about the continuing process. And then Jacob once again confirms the name of this place. This is the house of God. This is Beth. And so once again, we've, we've arrived at a point in the story of Jacob where it feels like we've arrived, right? It feels like, hey, things are going good. But we've been through this all throughout the book of Genesis. We feel like the people that we've been following in the stories finally get it. And things are going to finally be good. Things are finally going to be perfect. But we always get to these high points feels like things have finally arrived, but they don't last too terribly long, do they? And so as we move on to our final point, we see that there is loss in the family of Jacob. And the first thing we find here is that this nomadic family continues to move. They do what nomadic families do. And, and we sort of see a surprise in the story. You may have not noticed that we haven't come to the 12th son of Israel yet. We've been talking about 11 sons of Israel and Dinah. But we were short one. Benjamin hasn't been born. We haven't read that Rachel is pregnant, but suddenly we find out that she is, and she has gone into labor. And as she hears she has another son, she is breathing her last. And she calls him Ben-Oni. And she dies. Now, this means son of my sorrow. And we see that Jacob immediately changes his name to Benjamin, which means son of the right hand. 
Now, it seems to us, I, I, I think this way at least, maybe you feel the same way as me, seems like, like rather disrespectful to change the name that a mother gives to a son as she is breathing her last. But the reason he does this, more than likely, is that he doesn't want his son's name to consistently remind him of his sorrow. To have your son's name mean sorrow. It would be more than he could bear. He's already going to be sorrowful because he has lost Rachel. This is the wife that he labored for 14 years for. The one that he, that he loved at first sight. As we were journeying through the story of Jacob, I said that was the first time we really saw Jacob as a figure that we wanted to have compassion for, right? Up until then, he was a scoundrel. And then he sees Rachel. And we, and we feel the story. We start to see Jacob as, as a better character. And so despite the blessing of another son, and despite the promised blessing upon him, there is sorrow in the house of Israel. And once again, we're given another one of these landmarks to remember where they are and to where these things happened. But the family continues to sojourn on. And it is at this point that an interesting aside happens in the story. You may, be, may have even missed it here. This first line uh, says that Reuben goes in to lie with Bilhah, which is one of Jacob's concubines. And we read that Israel heard of it. One sentence. What in the world is up with that? That sounds like a whole lot of family drama, and then we don't hear anything about it, right? Well, this is a passing statement, but there's a reason for it. We're going to hear about this again later on in Genesis. As we get towards the end of Genesis, we're going to learn that Reuben will not receive the birthright. He will not receive the benefits of being the oldest son. And so as this is being listed out for us, who the sons are, we're told this little story to let us know that Reuben has done something unspeakable. And so he is not worthy of being the son who carries the birthright. He will not be able to have that claim. Now, we're not going to dwell on this too much today because we get to come back to it much later. But just an interesting aside, how important these birth orders were to these families. And so back to the main story we go. We, we have the sons of Jacob listed, and then we, we see, have Jacob coming to Isaac, and then we see that, that Isaac dies. He's gathered to his people, old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now Jacob seemed to have arrived just a few verses back, right? He's at the point of faith like we've never seen him before, gotten rid of the idols, God confirms the covenant with him, and now here we are, just a few verses, and Jacob has experienced the deepest pain of the curse. He has lost his wife, his beloved wife. He has lost his father. We're being reminded of the pain of the curse ourselves. For all the promises made to Jacob, the sting of death has not yet been removed. That promise is yet to come. The removal of the sting to, of death is yet to come. Jacob is a hero of the faith, but he is not the hero of the faith. He is in the line to the seed of the woman, but he is not the seed of the woman. He is still subject to the curse, but God is doing something. Through this family, this family that has displayed sin and deception and missteps at every turn, through this family, God is going to bring the one 
who will one day come and will crush the head of the serpent and will bring salvation to his people. He will bring salvation to Jacob and to Rachel and to Isaac. Because that's the real story that's going on. The sting of the curse is on display as this chapter concludes. But you and I are blessed. The story does not end with the curse here for us. Because you and I can look forward. We can look forward to how all these promises made to Jacob are fully fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And while we still have pain in this life, we can know, we can know for certain that the pain of the curse is ultimately soothed in the pain that Christ suffered for us at the cross and in the victory of his resurrection from the dead. And so the people of God, they've been on an interesting journey in this passage this morning. But as God's people today, what do you and I do with this story? I would like us to come away from the passage today with two specific applications as we head out into the world this week to love and serve our neighbor. So the first thing that I think we see here is to pursue repentance. At the beginning of this chapter, we, we saw Jacob and his household burying their idols and purifying themselves as they prepared to go to Bethel. Now, in the first of the 95 theses that Martin Luther nailed to the door of the castle church at Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517, he stated this, The Lord Jesus Christ, when he called us to repent, willed that the entire life of believers should be one of repentance. What a call on our lives. We've seen this in the life of Jacob this morning. They repented. They purified themselves. To repent means to change your mind, to understand your sinfulness and reject your own righteousness and instead pursue the righteousness of Christ. There are no days in our lives where we don't need to turn from sin. So we need to ask ourselves, what idols are in our lives? Where do you and I need to purify ourselves? Have we, like Jacob, been complacent with the things that are sinful in our lives and the things that are around us? I asked a question, but I know the answer. The answer is yes. We have. And we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to seek to bury those things. And instead of seeking out those things, those things we bury in the ground, we need to seek out holiness, what God has called us to do. And as I always say, this is hard. Because the pull of the world is so terribly strong. To do this, we must be seeking the Lord where he is found. And that is in his word. And we must trust the Holy Spirit to be at work to convict us of areas of sin and unbelief in our lives. Things that we might not even see. That way we can purify ourselves of them. We can push them aside and instead pursue the things of God. The second thing that I want us to remember from this passage is the pain that the reality of life in a fallen world can bring. Jacob is the blessed one of God, and yet he experiences loss. He experiences hardship. He isn't pulled from the world. His loved ones aren't immune to sickness and death. Life is still hard, even for the ones who are blessed by God. Because of this, we must always remember that our hope 
is not a hope in the things of this world. We will still experience pain and loss. Suffering is very real. It's a reality on this side of glory. To prepare ourselves for this, we must continually remember the one who defeated the curse for us. He is the one who abides with us in the midst of pain and loss, and we know that he knows what we experience. He wept at the tomb of a friend. Jesus lived among those who needed healing. He felt the real struggles of what we experience in this fallen world, and and he went to the cross to experience very real pain, very real suffering, but it was to rescue us from it. And so whether you are in grief from loss or whether you are thinking thinking yourself, how do I live well? How do I finish the race faithfully? To do that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, we keep our eyes not on the things of this world, but on the one who is seated at the Father's right hand, the one who is victorious over sin, death, and hell. So seek the Lord Jesus Christ, for he is the one who leads us all the way home. His promise continued through the people of God in Genesis, and that promise was fulfilled in Jesus. And just as it was the, as it was the only hope for Jacob, it is our only hope as well. Amen.